I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, verse 45 in our series, Following Jesus. This is our fourth message in Matthew chapter 24. It's, uh, I think it's message 66 in this series on the Gospel of Matthew, but it's the fourth one just on this chapter, often called the Olivet Discourse or the Eschatological Teaching, because our Lord Jesus taught about the end times on the Mount of Olives during that last crucial Holy Week. This is, this is Jesus' own teaching about Jesus' own return. I'm not going to go back and recount everything we've learned over the last three messages in Matthew. It would take the whole sermon time to do a recap like that, so I'm not going to do it. There are a lot of details here in Matthew 24, a lot of complexity. And faithful Christians have disagreed on how to interpret many of those details over the course of church history. So if you want to go back into that further, or if I've lost you along the way, I'd recommend going back and re-listening to those messages or reading the manuscripts of the sermons, which I post on my blog. That'll catch you up. And it might help you to fall asleep at night. Maybe both. But today we're not going to go back over Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple in verses 1 and 2. Or Jesus' description of the birth pains that characterize the time between his first coming and his second coming in verses 3 through 14. Or Jesus' prediction of the abomination of desolation, which I believe happened in that generation in verses 15 through 26. Or Jesus' prophecy of the actual coming of the Son of Man, which will be obvious and glorious in verses 27 through 31. And we're not going to go back to verses 32 through 35, which give us a summation of that entire section of the teaching and end with our hide-the-word verse about the certainty of Jesus' words coming true. Let's say our hide-the-word verse together. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We're not going to go back there over all those details this morning. But I do want to restate what we saw last week in verses 36 through 44. Verses 36 through 44. One reason is because many of you weren't able to be with us last week due to the ice on the roads. And two, because the point that Jesus was making then is the same point that he's making now in today's passage. And that point is the point. Jesus has gotten to the so what. Jesus has gotten to the nub, to the, to the rub, to the relevance of all of this teaching on the end times. We've seen it again and again. Jesus is focused in his teaching on eschatology on what? Application to our hearts and our lives. Application. And here's what he said was the overarching application. Keep watch. Keep watch. Spiritually speaking, keep watch. The main upshot of Jesus' teaching on Jesus' return is not all the details of what's going to happen when. It is spiritual vigilance. It is watching and waiting and being ready for His return. In the words of our statement of faith, the return of Christ demands constant expectancy. Keep watch. How come? There is one big reason why we need to do that. 
which Jesus has emphasized over and over again, especially last week in verses 36 through 44. And he's going to keep emphasizing it and overemphasizing it until the end of chapter 25. He's going to hit this point and write it to the end of his message. And that is this. No one knows when the Son of Man will come. So let me ask you the question I ask of all ordination candidates when we get to Article 9 of our Statement of Faith. See if you can pass an ordination exam question. When will Jesus return? What's the right answer? We don't know. When will the Lord come back? When should we expect the coming of the Son of Man? Anytime. Listen to verse 36 again from last week. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Not only do we not know, the angels in heaven don't know. And more unbelievably, if you can wrap your mind around this, at that time at least, even the Son of Man, in His own human nature, did not know when He would return. If the Son of Man professed ignorance on this point, who do we think we are to pretend we know or to speculate as if we do? I don't know how Jesus could say this more strongly. So he just keeps saying it again and again. Listen a couple verses down to verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You do not know. You do not know. You do not know. He says he's going to come like a thief in the night, not to steal things, but to catch people unaware. So he says that we must always, always be aware. We must always be spiritually vigilant, constantly expectant. Then he says it again, verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Do you think Jesus might want us to keep watch? Do you think maybe Jesus wants to emphasize that we do not know when he's going to come back? Keep watch. So what does that look like? I mean, in practical terms, what, what would it look like for you and me to live our lives on watch? This morning we had, it's on the front of your bulletin, Bob and Sylvia read about watchmen waiting for the morning. Watch. Watch. Well, that's actually the theme of the rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25. We're going to focus on it for at least three more messages right up to the new year, taking just the shortest break for Christmas itself. What does it look like for you and me to live our lives on watch? Let's pray together and begin to find out. Would you pray with me? Father, we've sung glorious truth this morning. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Born to give a second birth. Oh, come, let's adore him. Christ the Savior is born. Glory to God in the highest. Help us, Lord, now to just wrap our mind around these few, these two really stories that are going to help us to live life the way we ought to 
while we wait, while we watch for the return of our Savior. Would you do that in our hearts now? Prepare us. Get us ready and help us to stay ready. We pray it in his name. Amen. So I'd like to begin by asking the question that we ended with last week, and that was this. What do you want to be found doing when the Lord returns? What do you want to be found doing when Jesus comes back? We don't know when he will return. So what do you want to be up to when it actually goes down? Jesus asks a similar question in verse 45. He frames it as a wisdom question like we see in the Proverbs, the contrast between the foolish and the wise, the two different paths, mutually exclusive. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? The master goes away, he leaves a faithful and wise servant in charge. So you can guess who the master is in this story, and you can guess who the servant is supposed to be. What does the faithful and wise servant do while the master is away? He does what he should do. He does what the master wants him to do. If he's in charge of feeding the other servants, he makes sure they get their food on time. And it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Now Jesus is going to camp on this idea of giving an account of your actions while he's away and his giving out rewards for faithful service in the very next chapter. I hope to study that parable with you, Lord willing, next week. It's that good and faithful servant story that we love so much. But he raises the ideas here with this short illustration. What do you want to be doing when the master returns? You want to be doing what he asked you to. Is that what you're doing? Just look at your life right now. Are you doing what the master has asked you to be doing while he's away? Are you living a faithful, obedient life? Are you doing what your master has given you to do? Are you living out the values of his kingdom while you wait for kingdom to come? Does your life look like the Sermon on the Mount, for example? When Jesus told us how to live if we're citizens of his upside-down, inside-out, already-but-not-yet kingdom... Are you being faithful with whatever portion of that kingdom work that you're supposed to be managing for the time being? Feeding those whom you're supposed to be feeding, so to speak, and on time. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Is that you? Is that me? The good news is that the master richly rewards the faithful and the wise servant. And we can't begin to imagine what that reward will be like. In the parable, the faithful and wise servant is put in charge of, checks notes, all of the master's possessions. Oh, 
That sounds really good. What do you want to be doing when the Lord returns? I think we, we get caught up into, what do I want to be doing, right? Or what do, what do other people want me to be doing? And we need to be asking the question, am I doing what the Lord wants me to be doing? Because you don't know when he's going to return. You don't know when it's going to happen. Keep watch because he might come sooner than you expect. In verse 48, Jesus poses a thought experiment about the opposite of a faithful and wise servant. Look at verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Surprise ending to that story, isn't it? More ways than one. Notice again that Jesus says that the master will come at an unspecified and completely surprising moment. When the servant, he says, does not expect him, and at an hour, the servant is not aware of. And that's partially the servant's fault, right? This wicked servant has said in his heart that the master will be away for a long time, and so he reasons in his mind he has lots of time to get things straightened up later, right? He's a procrastinator. And so he lets his true nature come out and take over. And he doesn't feed his fellow servants. He beats them. And he gives himself to wild, debauched, wicked living, sinful pursuits. And he says to himself, ah, oh, we'll clean it up all later. We'll do that later. We got, we got lots of time. Let's have some fun. We can treat each other right in the church later. Let's brawl right now. And let's party hardy. What do you want to be doing when the Lord returns? When I was a youth pastor, I remember one night we took the teens bowling. Remember this? <laughs> She's heard this story 10 times, 50 times. We had a good time bowling and we're packing up to leave and I'm in the front seat of the church van with one of the students who I think was a senior at the time. And I remember very clearly he said to me this, very honestly, just right out of his heart, I don't want God to come back just yet. I still want to do more sinning. Very honest, huh? We might feel the same way and not say it. He might come sooner than you expect. And what if it's today? This guy in Jesus' story thought he had lots of time to repent, but he sure didn't. And look where it got him. Listen to verse 51 again. He, the the master, will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you remember who the hypocrites are? Chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites. The fakes and the snakes, 
the blind leading the blind, the false and the wrong, looking good on the outside, but on the inside, it's only death. Those who are unprepared for the return of Christ because they are hypocrites, not really believers, not really followers of Jesus, will go to torment. And it doesn't matter if they've been in church all their life. What do you want to be doing when the Lord returns? Or conversely, and just as importantly, He might come later than you expect. He might come later than you expect. We don't know. In chapter 25, Jesus tells another parable of the kingdom with a similar point. You don't know, so keep watch. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Again, the two paths. The foolish ones took their lamps but not t- did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now let's stop right there and make sure we understand what's going on in this story. Because our Pennsylvania weddings are not like first century Israeli weddings. There were a number of traditional parts to a Jewish wedding at that time. And the ones that seem to be most operative in this story are that the groom and his dad would often go to the home of the bride and make the final negotiations, the final arrangements for settling everything about the wedding. And then the groom would process through the streets of their town back to his home for the wedding feast to begin. The focus here is on the groom because he stands for Jesus in the New Testament, right? Other passages focus on the bride, which stands for the church in the New Testament. But the bride's not the focus here in this story. The focus is on the bridegroom and when will he come. Other members of the community would be invited to the wedding feast as well. Remember the wedding at Cana where they ran out of wine? If you were a rich family, you could have a party that lasted a week as part of the wedding, okay? If, it was, if you weren't one, it was at least one that went all night, okay? A bunch of people get invited. And these young maidens were invited to join the procession through the streets. They're, they're not the family, but they're invited in. We might call them bridesmaids because they're part of the whole, the whole party, okay? But... They're invited to be kind of the, to, you know, to carry along a torch at night if this happens in the evening, to say, here comes the bridegroom, and to be part of the parade, and just make everything just glowing, and can you imagine? It'd be a beautiful sight, and just really exciting. This is like electric. They're given lamps. I don't think these are Coleman camping lamps, Okay. These are, it's more likely that they're large dome-shaped torches fueled by rags in, uh, that are soaked in oil and are used for walking outside. So they're, they're more like, like the Olympic torch, okay? But, you know, no, like, you, to keep that going, you've got to have oil, right? So there's a little bit of oil. But, in, so in Jesus' story, there's how many of them? Ten, Okay. No, no particular reason why 10, I would imagine. It's probably just Jesus' storytelling. I'll give you 10. And then he gives five of them to be wise and five of them foolish. Not saying that there's half of the people are going to be wise and half are foolish. Just, just kind of 
setting this story. You know, just you, you can see them in your mind's eye. Now, the difference between the two, they're both given these torches. The difference between the two is that the wise took oil, he says, in jars along with their lamp. So they got a lamp and they've got a jar of oil, right? They're ready for putting some more in, keeping the fire going, putting some more in, keeping the fire going. But the foolish ones, they didn't bring a jar of olive oil to burn in their lamps. Now, many Christian interpreters have tried to figure out what the oil stands for in the parable. Do you know what the oil stands for in the parable? Me neither. You probably heard a lot of the options. It's the Holy Spirit. It's grace. It's good works. It's salvation. It's the Word of God. And and the list goes on and on. You can come up with your own of what it might be. I don't think it matters to get the point of Jesus' story. Especially because whatever it is, they're going to go out and get some for themselves later on in the story. The point of the story is that they were not prepared for the bridegroom to take longer than they expected. In many ways, these lit lamps were their tickets into the feast. And they had neglected to do anything to make sure they were ready to enter the feast if it took any real time of waiting. They were foolish. Because that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I think that's the key point of the whole parable. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Some people think that Jesus led everyone to expect that he would return very shortly in the first century and the church was in a tizzy because he didn't. Is that what happened? Well, Jesus did lead everyone to expect that he would return at a time they don't expect and that it could be very short. That's the last story about the wicked servant. After the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, the coming of the Son of Man could be imminent. But Jesus also explicitly left open the possibility that he might take a long time before returning. From our perspective, we might call it a long delay. He might come much later than you expect. How do I know that? He said so. You know, it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus told this story. But that should not surprise us. He said it might be so. In the story, all of the guests, they're they're checking their watches and they're saying, where's the bridegroom already? When's he going to come? If they are literally in the bride's house, they could be saying, what are they doing in there? there, Has the negotiations broken down? Is there not going to be a wedding after all? Where's the guy? Where's this guy? This is like the part in our wedding ceremonies when the couple are off taking pictures after the ceremony, right? You go to a wedding and it's beautiful and, and they kiss and they go out and, you know, you, you blow your bubbles or you throw your birdseed out of her or, or whatever. And then they go off somewhere and they get pictures taken and you go to the reception. And they got hors d'oeuvres, right? Okay. But, you know, you're like, and you're on your phone. That's, I'm on my phone. Yep, okay, scroll, scroll, scroll. Are they here yet? And then they show up, right? And you aren't ready. 
You know, oh, I'm supposed to pray. Oh, I uh, put my coat back on, get ready, you know. These young ladies fell asleep. Was that bad? Not in this story. Because both the wise ones and the foolish ones fell asleep. It's not wrong to sleep. This keeping watch thing does not mean that we try to not get sleep until Jesus returns. Every second of every day, you've got your eyes open. I've got to be busy for the Lord. He might come back at any time. It doesn't mean knock yourself out, burn yourself out, because Jesus might be here any second. No, this story is about him taking longer than we might expect. So rest is going to have to be a part of the equation for us. He's built it in. Make sure you get plenty of rest. But be ready. The wise virgins could rest because they were ready. The foolish virgins shouldn't have allowed themselves to rest until they were ready. Because the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! And everybody scrambles around. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, oh, uh, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going to go out. No. They replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. We have a responsibility to light the way for the bridegroom. The whole way from here to the feast, you're on your own. So they take off. But while they are on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. He might come later than you expect. But that doesn't mean you know how much time you have to prepare. You've got to be prepared all the time. Isn't it fascinating that they had all that time and yet they were not prepared? And nobody can do your preparing for you. I sometimes wish I could prepare other people to meet the Lord. Right? Myself. There are a lot of people I would try to get ready for his return if I only could. And we should all urge people to do so. But we can't do it for them. We can't get anyone saved. Not our kids. Not our grandkids. Not other people that we love. We can urge them to prepare for the Lord's return, but everybody has to do it themselves. I have to do it for myself. You have to do it for yourself. Have you done it? Are you prepared for the Lord's return? He might come earlier than you expect, so don't delay. And he might come later than you expect. So get ready to wait. Here's where I think, I think a lot of preachers and teachers on the end times don't do enough talking about this aspect of Jesus' return. They get people whipped up into a frenzy that it could be soon, it could be soon, it could be soon. And it could be soon. We should be ready. We do not know. But we do not know. And Jesus said that there might be what seems to us a long delay. And that's true today. It could be thousands of years. Dig in. 
dig in and be ready for the long haul. There were churches in the first century, like in Thessalonica, that made that mistake. They were just quitting their jobs and just waiting around for the second coming. But Jesus didn't say to quit your job. He's coming soon. Jesus didn't say to not plan for retirement or to not strategize for long-term effect. Those are good things to do. Go ahead and go to work this week. You can say your pastor told you to. Go ahead and save for retirement. Not to play your life away when you get old, but to not be a burden to others and to be able to give to the Lord's work in the future, if there is a future. Go ahead and build that organization that you think you're called to build. Go ahead and make long-term plans because you don't know. You don't know. We have to stop pretending like we know. Even the Son did not know. Just think about this. According to chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus did not know that it would be over 2,000 years until he came back to get us. He did not know that it might be over 2,000 years, but it certainly was. Could be sooner, could be later. We don't know. The point is to be ready either way. Patient and expectant. Expectant and patient. Patient and expectant. Expectant and patient. That's what it means to keep watch. Are you ready? Either way. Like many of Jesus' parables, it's a crazy story. These young ladies get some more fuel and they come through the streets of the wedding banquet and they're refused entry. Now this probably would not have happened in real life. They probably would have gotten shamed and then let in. You dishonor the bridegroom by not lighting his way. Like you were asked to, but whatever, come on in. But Jesus, because he's got this spiritual truth to teach, puts this kicker on his story. To show just how important this is in the spiritual realm. Look at verse 11. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Those are some of the scariest words in the Gospel of Matthew. They were invited to the feast But because they did not prepare in faith for the long haul of waiting for the bridegroom, they were not known by the bridegroom when they tried to get in after the last second. See, after the last second, the door does not open again. And you don't know when the last second will be. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? You don't know what's going to happen. It might be sooner than you expect. It might be later than you expect. You don't know. The question is, are you ready? You don't have to wait to find out if you're ready. You can get ready right now. The Lord invites you to turn from your sin. He calls that repentance. And to put all your faith and trust down on Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. And to begin by faith to follow Jesus as your king. Now, it might be harder to do that than you might expect. It might be more arduous. It might involve more hardship and difficulty and bad times. You've got to be ready. When you set off on discipleship, you've got to be ready for the long haul. But it's worth it.
because he's worth it. The bridegroom is worth it all. Verse 13, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour.